It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter, at PlayLikeAJet1. And we're doing the off-season roundtables as we do every year once the season is over. Next up on the roundtable, one of my favorite beat writers who doesn't come on the podcast enough, but to be fair, he's pretty sick right now. So I'm glad that he was able to make some time, even though he's been coughing and sneezing and everything that ends up happening to people when you live in the New York, New Jersey area in the wintertime, let's be honest he's a beat reporter for northjersey.com and the bergen record i used to love reading his stuff for the brooklyn nets or at the time i guess they would have been the new jersey nets and now i enjoy reading his stuff on the jets just as much mr andy vasquez andy welcome to the show man thanks for joining the round table thanks for having me on appreciate it yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you were able to come on despite the fact that you're playing hurt, as they say in football. A little coughing and sneezing going on. Seems to be going around this time of year. But I wanted to get your take on a variety of different subjects surrounding the Jets. So we'll start with the elephant in the room, the one that everybody seems to be talking about and we're complaining about right now. And that, of course, is Adam Gase. What did you think of his first year as head coach of the Jets? Well, I think there was a lot to a lot left to be desired for sure. We'll start with that because I think that's where all the fans want to start with. Uh, I mean, when you, when you look at the offense, it was basically ranked at the bottom of every category and, and I don't care how bad the offensive line is. I don't care how many injuries you have. Um, if, if you are a guy who was brought in to be an offensive minded head coach and as Christopher Johnson said to, to bring the game where it's going or whatever that line was that he said about, you know, coaching toward the future, then you should be able to be better than dead last in every offensive category. And you should be able to find a way to use a guy like Le'Veon Bell. Uh, they should have been better on offense. And, and that was a huge failure. And, and I think, uh, you know, he should be held accountable for that. I, I, I will say this. I, I thought at the time, midway through the season, people who wanted him, fired i thought that was like objectively insane insane mm-hmm. to want I, I know all the arguments i know that he had been a coach for three years before so this wasn't his first job um but for a te- an nfl team has never fired a, a first year head coach halfway through his first season or in the first year with a new team so i i think that whole line of questioning was or that whole line of thought was, was basically insane. And I, I don't think it was wrong to think that he shouldn't have been fired midway through the year. I think the Jets should have taken a hard look at whether or not to bring him back after the year. And I think the fact that 
they won six out of their final eight games. I know it was against an easy schedule, and I know um, it, the, most of the games are meaningless, and, and they lost the only game that, that kind of ended up mattering, the Cincinnati game. But I think that shows that he does have the culture going in, in the right direction. And, and for this team, like, there there was a time there, I think they had lost 16 out of 18 or 15 out of 17, and, and for guys like Jamal Adams and, and guys like Darnold who aren't used to losing like that, it, it was important for them to win some of these games at the end of the season. And I think that's something you can feel somewhat good about um, going into next year. But I think going into next year, he, the offense has to be better. And if it's not, he they should seriously consider firing firing him because that's what he's been brought here to do is, is to make Sam Darnold better and, and to run an offense that is, dangerous and good and it wasn't at all this first year i'm with you on firing him in the middle of the season i thought that was a little extreme and i also took some flack for defending him during the luke falk games because i felt like it wasn't fair to evaluate him based on a situation where he found himself with a guy playing quarterback who didn't belong in the league and an offensive line that couldn't block for the guy. That's a deadly combination. But I think you now have a full season to evaluate him on top of the three seasons that he had in Miami. And they did win six of their last eight, but I think this is sort of similar to the 2013 season where the Jets finished strong. They ended up eight and eight. And then the following year they were four and 12 because there were a lot of holes in the victories. In other words, they were winning close games against bad teams and the flaws were always there. There was a lot of luck involved. And so they were a prime regression candidate. And the next year, the regression did come. I think the other factor here, and you alluded to this in terms of the offense having to be better, they were 32nd in the league. One of the listeners of this show, Sean Stalker, brought this up, and I've brought it up a couple of times myself because I thought it was a fascinating point. The Jets did win those games, but let's keep in perspective the fact that the defense under Greg Williams was in the top 10 in the league despite a ton of injuries. Special teams was top five in the league. The offense, 32nd in the league. So if we had flipped this around, and let's say Greg Williams were the head coach of this team, and Adam Gase was here as the offensive coordinator, and as you said, he was brought in here with his main objective being to fix the offense and work with Sam Darnold. If he's in here as the offensive coordinator and the team finishes 32nd in the league, I know there were injuries, but I think there's a pretty good chance he gets relieved of his duties after one year. So I think when you think of it from that perspective, you could see the argument, and I think it's a fairly strong one, that Gase didn't necessarily deserve to come back as head coach at the end of the year. I'm not talking about middle of the year, but the end of the year, especially when you consider his history in Miami for three years and the fact that it seems like a lot of the problems, a lot of the mistakes, both during games and off the field in terms of players speaking out, players being unhappy, some strife in the locker room, those problems all seem to still be there just as they were during his time in Miami. So I'm with you that there's no way that right. it would have been fair to fire him midseason. But can you see an argument for why maybe it would have been a smart move to do it at the end of the season? Well, I've got a couple couple of things with what you, what you just said. And I'm not saying there's not an argument for it. I just don't think it's productive to change coaches after one year and to throw Sam Darnold into a, a third offense in his third season, especially when you consider um, – that 
we don't really know how much the mono affected him. I'm I'm not trying to make an excuse. This, this is a real thing. Like mm-hmm. this guy probably suffered through it in that first game against Buffalo. And then it had to affect his grasp of the offense had to sit out those three games. And then it had to affect him physically for at least some amount of time. And who knows if he ever fully got back to some of the fundamentals or things he had been working on. So I, I don't think it's, I just don't think it's really like a hundred percent fair to judge him off this year. And I also think like everybody, you can say what you want about Greg Williams, but uh, on the day that Adam Gase was hired, he said that he wanted to bring in basically a guy to be the head coach of the defense. Um, and he he made sure Greg Williams was brought in here. So he has to deserve some credit for that. Like he, he hired him and that could be seen as a risky move because of, of what you're just saying right now. Uh, you know, people think that he'd be a better head coach of this team. So it, you have to give Gates credit for making that hire. At least I think he deserves some credit there. I, I see why there's an argument and why it looks like, it, maybe it won't get better because there's not really a lot in his history that shows um, that it will get better. There, there's really like nothing in his history that shows <laughs> right. that, that this is going to get better. But but it's, he hasn't ever really had a quarterback like Sam Darnold either. And if Darnold does what many people expect him to do next year, or if he can take that leap next year, it could be a totally different ball game. So I'm of the opinion, um, I think he should be, you know, on the on the hot seat basically to start the season next year. I mean, I think you got to be evaluating him closely and, and uh, watching carefully everything that happens. Um, but I think he should get another year. And one last thing with with some of that stuff about the players being unhappy, I think that's a sign that the culture is changing. First of all, it's not all, it's not all him. It's, it's um, Joe Douglas, you know, is making some of these decisions in the front office that of how to handle the players. And and I'm sure, you know, Jamal Adams wasn't happy with him and, and wasn't happy with Gase over the way that was handled and all that stuff. But I think when the culture is changing and, and, guys are being held accountable in maybe a way that they weren't before. And and I know people like to say that they're, they're not being held accountable because that's what they see from the outside. Um, but I think in the locker room, they are being held accountable and there's going to be some discomfort there. And I think this is maybe a sign of it. So either that's going to work out and guys are going to fall in line or it's going to get worse. And you're going to see all of that next year. But I do think that we should see it, not just, the Jets shouldn't punt on it after one year. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. 
Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. I want to talk about Sam Darnold a little bit because you brought him up and you said a big part of the reason why you wouldn't want to get rid of Gase is because you think that it would be foolish to put Sam Darnold in his third system in three years. And I understand that argument, but don't you think there's something to the argument that if there's proof that the system isn't working, in other words, if the offense is 32nd in the league, if we can sit here and point to numerous times when Gase played away from Darnold's strengths and into his weaknesses and vice versa, If we could sit here and look at the film and say, okay, what was Gase thinking here when he had Darnold do this? Or why did Darnold have to go to Adam Gase midway through the year and tell him that what he was doing wasn't working? Why didn't he notice that himself? And again, when you compare it to the track record that he had in Miami and you had a lot of the same problems... At that point, don't you think there's something to be said for the fact that, yeah, you don't want to put him in three systems in three years, but if he's in a failing system, it's better to get him out of it now than keep him in a failing system for longer and maybe inhibit his growth even more? Well, I mean, yeah, I see, I see what you're saying there, and I would be on board with you, but I, I think there is some evidence that Donald got better this year. Now, I... I there's some there were some things that I didn't like that I saw that that maybe didn't stack up favorably to last year. I think he did not look as comfortable in the pocket at the end of the season as he did at the end of last year. I, but I think a lot of that has to do with being behind an offensive line that that you can't trust. But you know he threw more touchdowns than he did last year. He threw fewer interceptions. He had a higher completion percentage. And in the games that he played, they won seven out of the 13 games. They had a winning record. So um, I, I don't have the stats uh, on what the Jets' offense ranked in the games that Donald played compared to what it didn't. I'm guessing that they were still, you know, in the bottom two or three in the league just because they, they weren't very good. But mm-hmm. my view – on a lot of the offensive struggles and there, there were a lot of questionable play calls, but I, I think if they can get the offensive line issue to a, 
point where it's somewhat competent, where they can get a couple guys in there that they can trust and, and, you know, make it so that they can run the ball and make it so that Donald doesn't have to, you know, be worried about getting hit every time he takes a, a drop. I, I think that you're going to see a jump in the offense next year. And I, I think it'll be more effective. Um, but that's, that's just my opinion. I may be completely wrong. We're, the good news is we'll find out in about nine months. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Darnold a little bit more now because I think that a lot of people had very high expectations for him coming into 2019. And I think for some people, it was a bit of a disappointment. Now, as you said, there's no question that he got better from year one to year two. But how much better did he get? I want to know what you think in terms of the progress that he made. Is it about what you expected? Did it fall short of what you expected? And when you compare him to the other quarterbacks from the class, let's put aside Lamar Jackson because obviously he's operating on a different level. And we'll put aside Josh Rosen, who was really bad and wasn't even playing. Let's just make this Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen that we're comparing him to. Where do you think he sits right now compared to those two guys? Well, I think if you go to what the expectation was, uh, the expectations were high. When you look at what he did in those last four or five games of last season when you know, he had that great come-from-behind win in Buffalo, the the really strong performances against the Packers and against the Texans. Um, I think everybody expected Donald to make a huge leap this season, and uh, it didn't happen. And, like, I think Mono had something to do with that. I think the offensive line and some of the horrible miscalculations that, you know, Mike McCagden made uh, on that front, you know, I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, but I think the mono really threw things off and, and he never was able to really kind of get into a, uh, a uh, you know, rhythm or anything. He, and he had some great games, the game against Dallas and the game against Oakland where he, where he showed some of the flashes, but it just wasn't, it wasn't uh, consistent enough. And I, I think that was, a little I mean I think that was troublesome and I think you could be slightly worried but I think if you look at his overall trajectory he's getting better he didn't have like a sophomore slump season where he took a step backwards if you look at like you like you said like let's compare him to Baker Mayfield I mean I think you're feeling a lot better right now about Sam Donald than you are about Baker Mayfield um, and that's that's a good thing, uh, you know, because the Jets got him after Mayfield. So that that's, in that sense, I think he's doing okay, but he didn't take the leap that everybody expected. And then, you know, Josh Allen has a much more established team around him, a much better offensive line in front of him. Just from what I've seen from Darnold and Allen, I feel like if Darnold had that kind of offensive line in front of him and that kind of supporting cast around him, I think, he'd be better. I mean, I think he'd be better than Allen's been in that situation. My, my, I mean, we were in Buffalo a week and a half ago. A lot of people were the, the narrative there after that game because Darnold struggled against the Bills' backups was that Allen is way ahead of Darnold in his development. That, that was what all these Bills fans and, and talking heads walked out of uh, – New Era Field thinking on, on that Sunday night 
that last Sunday night of the regular season. I, I don't, I don't see it that way. I think Darnold, um, I think if you put Donald with that cast, that he would be the better quarterback. He can, he, you know, he, I don't think he has the arm that Allen has, and he's obviously not the uh, the runner that he is. But I think the overall package, the overall ability to make throws, um, the overall ability to see the field and read a defense, I think Donald's better at that, all of that, than Allen right now. So I think he he stacks up favorably to. Um, you know, the guy is not named Lamar Jackson in that draft class. It's just, you got, you, I think you got to take into account the situation that's around him. And it, it wasn't good this year. It just, it just wasn't a good situation. And I think he made the most out of what wasn't a great situation. If the situation is going to be better and if Sam Darnold is going to take that leap in year number three, it's going to have to happen because Joe Douglas rebuilds this roster in a way that accentuates the positives that Sam Darnold has and gives him the talent around him that, as you said, Josh Allen had, but Darnold did not. And I think a lot of that starts with the offensive line, but there are a lot of other spots where the Jets need to upgrade. How confident are you in Joe Douglas right now? Do you think that he's going to be the right guy to remake this roster in the offseason? I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't know. He's, we have such a limited uh, sample of, of the moves that he's made. You know, the Brian Khalil move did not work out, but it was also a Hail Mary in which he's trying to get out of a bad situation that he inherited. And I mean, it, it, I actually think it ended up making things worse, but it, you didn't think it could. So it, it, it seemed like a, it seemed, I understand why he made the move, but you know, he's picked up some guys, that, that have been able to contribute and, you know, like some of the guys, Vincent Smith ended up being a nice find, you know, Demarius Thomas it looked, looked like a bad trade at the time, but I mean, the Patriots, as it turned out, could have ended up using him and, and he ended up being a pretty nice player for the Jets this season. Uh, so he, he seems to have done well on, on that deal. It's just, we're not going to know until we start seeing these moves. I, I will say this, that he, he brings a confidence in the interview room. He says the right things. He's, he's pretty forthcoming. Um, and he's not shy about his plan to build the team. And it, it, if I think he sticks to his word and, and is really focused on remaking that offensive line, um, which is something he said in his initial press conference, something he said last week when we talked to him, on Tuesday, uh, you know, a, day, a couple of days after the season ended, I, I think if he keeps his eye on the ball and um, and that's the focus this off season, that that that's going to be what they need to take that next step forward. Any moves in particular you think they should make? Any positions that they should target? I know we talked about offensive line, but obviously there are other positions too. Any players in specific that you like? Um. Well. They're going to have to if, – if you look at the receiver situation, they've got to do something there. Um, because right as it stands right now, Robbie Anderson and Jameson Crowder are the only established receivers on the roster. I mean, because we don't know anything about Quincy and Noon was. So they've got a tough decision to make with Robbie Anderson, obviously, and if they want to pay him. Um, even if they pay him, they probably got to find a receiver in the draft who can start or, or contribute seriously. And this is a very deep draft in terms of receivers. I have, I haven't gone into 
that deep into my preparation for the draft yet to where I know like with the Jets at number 11, picking every round at number 11, what they, who would be a viable option for them. But I, but they're going to have to find whether or not they bring back Robbie or not, they're going to have to find the receiver in the draft who can contribute next season. Um, and they're obviously going to have to bring in multiple cornerbacks because, you know, as, as nice a job as Arthur Mollette and Bless Austin did this season, I, you, those guys can't be relied on to be your starting cornerbacks in 2020. Um, that, that, so that's obviously another position they need, they need to fix. It's weird because there are, there, they have so many holes and, and, and so many key positions, but if they can somehow get this right and, and at least make the offensive line a little bit stronger, I mean, the offensive line is tough because they could easily bring in four new starters or they could try to bring in two really high quality guys and then maybe keep somebody like Brian Winters for one more year as a stopgap or, or, you know, bring in a right tackle and keep Kelvin Beecham for one more year as a stopgap. There's a lot of options and it's going to be interesting to see how they do it. But, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he prioritizes, you know, how to, rebuild this team and how to fill those key roles but obviously I think the offensive line receiver and cornerback are the three positions that they really got to address the most hey guys this is Greg Peterson host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. What do you think about the internal free agents? You mentioned Robbie Anderson. There's Jordan Jenkins. There's Brian Poole. There are a couple of others. Which guys do you think they should try to keep and which guys do you think they should let walk? Well, it's funny you say that. Make sure you guys go to NorthJersey.com because uh, I'm, I'm putting up a piece on that shortly about going through. They, they have, I think, more than 20 unrestricted free agents um, who are, who are going to be on the market and they've got some tough choices. I mean, I think they've got to take a serious look at, at, I don't love the idea of giving Robbie Anderson 12 million plus a year because there's some risk to that just because he's inconsistent. He's had some past trouble, legal trouble, uh, although it's been a a couple of years now and there's been no issues since, but it's fair to wonder how he's going to, deal with getting that kind of money. So, so it's a risk to, to, to hand him that kind of a contract, but they're so thin at receiver that they don't, I don't think they really have a choice unless Amari Cooper somehow hits the market, then, then throw that money at him. But, but he's a guy I think they should look at bringing back. Obviously Jordan Jenkins, I think is a no brainer. I think you got to bring him back. He's a guy who, who's great in the locker room. He's gotten better every season. Um, and, and he's, he does it all. He, he he can stop the run. He can get to the quarterback and he seems to be getting better at that every year. So um, I, I think he's a guy they got to take a serious look at. Um, I don't have the list in front of me right now. Brian Poole, like you said, um, I think 
he couldn't have been any they couldn't have expected any more from him this season as, as a replacement for Buster Screen. He was a he was a big upgrade for them and it's gonna cost more than the three point five million they paid him this year, but but I think they should give him a deal. Um Beecham is an unrestricted free agent. I mean, he's definitely not gonna be a guy they bring back right away. It's gonna depend on what they do in the draft and what they do in free agency at tackle and if if they don't find another guy at left tackle, I can see him coming back. Um, yeah, I know Ryan Khalil is an unrestricted free agent. Probably not going to want to bring him yeah. back. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and guess that Ryan Khalil is headed right back to the couch where Joe Douglas found him when they brought him out of retirement in the summer. I want to ask you this, too, because you're around the team on a daily basis, so you would have a pretty good perspective on this. There are a lot of people that are very down on ownership right now. There was a lot of confidence a couple years ago in Christopher Johnson. A lot of people were happy that he was in charge instead of Woody because people have been down on Woody for a long time. But now a lot of people are down on Christopher Johnson, and there are some that will say that he's even worse than Woody Johnson. Overall, the confidence that the fans have in ownership is very, very low. It's about as low as at any time that I can remember it. And I've been going Uh to Jets games for close to 35 years. So that's a pretty low bar, and they're right underneath it somehow. A lot of people will advance the theory that a team is only as good as its ownership. In other words, if you have owners that don't know what they're doing, they're going to consistently make bad decisions and the team is going to have a really hard time being good on a consistent level. You could be good here and there for a year or two, but if you want a team that's going to be a regular winner, a team that's going to compete year in, year out, you need to have ownership that really is in tune with things and knows what they're doing. And Daniel Snyder is a perfect example, essentially, of what happens when you have ownership that isn't in tune with what's going on in the league, doesn't really know how to make the right hires, and so you'll get the occasional playoff appearance here and there, but sustained success is just something that's never going to happen. Do you think that the Johnsons fall into that category of clueless owners, that things are never going to really turn around as long as they're in charge, or do you think that it is possible for them to hire the right people, they just haven't done it yet? Well, I'll say this. There isn't a lot of evidence that that stacks up in their favor when you look at um i mean they basic the team it's a pretty strong argument that they just came off the worst decade in franchise history i mean i know they they made it to the afc championship game at the beginning of the decade and and had one of the best wins in franchise history at the beginning of the decade and beating the patriots in the can't wait game but um i mean after that there's really like nothing good to speak of and it's hard to be that bad for that long in the free agency era. And there's only one common thread in its, its ownership. Um, and they haven't made the right decisions. They, they, you know, you can, they, they obviously didn't make the right decision on McCagnan. They waited too long to do it and eventually made the right decision, but uh, kind of created this whole dysfunctional situation when they, when they fired him in May and, and made the team a, a, a national punching bag slash joke. Um, to, to answer your question, it's, it's, it's hard to have any confidence in them. But if he made the right hire in, in Joe Douglas, then this could turn around. It's, you're kind of going to have to wait and see. You're kind of going to have to hope that um, they got it right with Joe Douglas. And, and I will say this. Um, well, a lot of people question 
the decision to, to, to hire Adam Gase and, and that's gotten its fair share of criticism. There haven't been uh, anyone in league circles who question their decision to hire Joe Douglas and, and Douglas is as respected as it gets around the, the league and, and people believe in his, uh, you know, ability to not only evaluate talent, but to uh, establish a culture. And I know it's been a rocky start in, in that regard, but um, I, you know, I think we kind of got to wait and see how it goes. And, and one more thing that to, to go back to kind of the Gase thing, I, I, I've seen it firsthand that, that Gase and Douglas are close and, and they have a good relationship and, they, you know, they're constantly talking to each other, and that's something that they didn't. This team didn't have with Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnan. Um and I don't think that can be a bad thing. I, I think that that when your coach and your and your GM are on the same page, um, that can only benefit you going forward. And I and I, I hope. I mean, I I don't hope because I, you know, I'm I'm objective. I don't really care. But Jets fans, I think that's something you could see start to pay off next year once they have this offseason to kind of build this thing together where everybody starts to get on the same page and the personnel matches up with the, with the kind of schemes that they want to, that they want to run, and, um, and that can happen. But if they do get this thing figured out, it, it would be an upset because when you look at kind of the, the 20 years of the Johnson owned the team it hasn't been very good Andy while I have you here I gotta ask you one last question before I let you go the Nets what's going on here there's all kinds of injuries we heard the injury excuses from Adam Gase but if anything Kenny Atkinson has a lot more in the way of injury excuses here with everything going on with Kyrie is this going to be a situation where the Nets are going to be one and done in the playoffs this year and we're just looking forward to next year when Kevin Durant comes back this year was always going to be about next year. Let's be honest. Even if Tyree was healthy, it was going to be about like how good can this team be in, in 2020, 2021 when they're going to be a legitimate championship contender. So I, I, I wouldn't have big expectations for them in the playoffs. I mean, it's still very early in the, in, in this whole deal. It's early. It's the first week of January and things can get turned around and teams can look a lot different. Uh, in early April than they do right now. So I wouldn't rate them off to being a dangerous team in the playoffs. But, uh, you know, no matter how dangerous they are in the playoffs this year, they're not, I don't think they're a championship contender this year. But as soon as Kevin Durant steps on that floor next in the fall, uh, they will be. And that's what this was always about. And, and I think that'll be pretty exciting uh, to have a, a, a real championship contender in, in New York for the first time in a long time. Uh, I think uh, it's going to be a hell of a ride next year. couple of storylines to watch this year. Adam Gase, is he going to be able to turn things around? Will Kevin Durant be able to help deliver a championship to Brooklyn? And will Andy Vasquez be able to stop Matt Stipikowski from taking over golf dominance on the New York Jets beat? That's something that I've been wondering, Andy. It looks like it's been a back and forth between the two of you, but Matt's kind of the young up-and-comer. Is he going to be able to overtake you for good this year? I would I would seriously doubt that. But <laughs> we, had, we had some good battles this year. It was fun. I think he got me the most the most recent time, but I, 
I can't remember. But yeah, we had some good battles. I loved hearing from Matt when you guys would travel on the beat and it would be a warm climate. Who would win each week? And it seemed like the winner was different each time. So this could be like the Bjork McEnroe rivalry, except of the New York Jets beat and a different sport golf. So I'm looking forward to more stories from you and Matt as the warm weather comes later in the year. Andy Vasquez from NorthJersey.com and the Bergen Record. Always a pleasure having you on. Hope you'll come back soon. Thanks so much. For those that are unaware of how to get a hold of you on social media or want to read your stuff, I know you said that you've got a great article coming up about the free agents that the Jets have internally, and I'm sure you've got a bunch of other things. How can they read your material? Yeah, it's just at NorthJersey.com. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter at Andy underscore Vasquez. And I also have an Instagram by Andy Vasquez where it's a lot of videos if, if you want to see, you know, inside the locker room what's going on there. So, um, yeah, I got, got you covered on pretty much every social platform. Uh, it'll be a little quieter now, obviously, that the season's over, but before we know it, it'll be free agency and then the draft and and we'll be back in at training camp. Training camp is only a few months away. Kind of crazy to think about that. You've got a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, 12-month-a-year sport now in football because now you've got the free agency buildup, then you've got the draft, and then you've got training camp. So lots to still read over at NorthJersey.com. Make sure you're checking out everything that Andy is putting out. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.